From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the summer of our discontent. Compared to being born in the winter, if you're born in the summer or autumn, you're at about a 16% increased risk of having high myopia. First this. As Seen From Here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. Now is the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by the emetropization process described by Jez Guggenheim. Emetropization is an ill-understood means by which the developing eye grows in such a way as to always keep a focused image on the retina. Amongst many proposed influences is season of birth. All right, Monday's child may be fair of face, but why should July's child be nearsighted? Dr. Guggenheim is author of a recent study on this subject, and I'm delighted to welcome him as my guest today. Jez, welcome to a scene from here. Before we talk about myopia associations at the level of the individual, let's talk about associations at the population level. Which populations, ethnicities, countries have especially low or especially high prevalences of myopia? I guess if we think of uh, the United States and Europe as being uh, an average middle ground for myopia prevalence with something like 30% of the population being short-sighted enough to need glasses or uh, contact lenses, then for high prevalence, the, the key areas are Southeast Asia where in countries like Singapore, Taiwan, and Hong Kong, uh, the population prevalence is upwards of 50% now. Uh, so more, more people may require glasses than not as the population uh, ages there. And at the low end, uh, there have been studies in South America, Nepal, uh, so not too far away from uh, the high uh, prevalence countries but there the prevalence can be as low as about 3%. So we get this very, very wide range in, in myopia prevalences as we look across different countries. Are the differences in myopia entirely attributable to genes, or are there other factors? Historically, I think there's been a, a natural assumption to attribute the differences to genetics because that's an obvious difference between populations uh, with different genetic backgrounds. Having said that, if you look at the recent genomics and genetics investigations where scientists are now able to get really detailed molecular data on different populations, it's becoming clear that if you look at any two individuals, it doesn't really matter whether they come from the same population or, or very different populations. There are substantial genetic differences between individuals, and these intersubject differences probably outweigh the the differences between individual populations. So, for example, in, 
in some genetic mapping studies, they've tried to define genetic variants that pinpoint which ethnic population somebody derives from, and that's been surprisingly difficult. Whereas genetic variants may differ in frequency between populations, the differences tend to be surprisingly subtle. Given that, I think we need to question the idea that population prevalence differences can be just attributed to race. Um, I think, again, if we look at environmental and lifestyle differences between populations, they're also going to be playing a role. And some um, scientists are now suggesting that perhaps genetic influences have a strong impact on where an individual fits in the frequency distribution of refractive error for that population. But when we start looking at Singapore versus Brazil versus United States, perhaps the, the mean level of myopia in each population, that might be more down to widespread environmental differences that perhaps everybody in a particular, particular racial population is exposed to. And that gives a set point that then genetic factors help to shift around that mean point. Just to recap what you said, there are differences between populations that have nothing to do with genes. There are environmental differences. There are sociocultural differences that may play into the development of myopia. Mm. Jez, prior to your study, what evidence existed that environmental variables can influence the development or progression of myopia in individuals? That's a good question. I, I guess historically, again, for about 100 years, near work, that is reading, sewing, anything you're doing um, requiring close-up accommodation vision, that's been pinpointed as the, the key variable that scientists have tried to to study in terms of the etiology of myopia. Um, and that's given rise to something called the use-abuse theory, which hypothesizes that if you're accommodating for very prolonged periods, this probably changes the biomechanics or some other feature of the eye to shift it towards myopia. So something different from pseudomyopia, which is a a condition where the lens, after being accommodated for some time, uh, has struggle, has uh, a struggle uh, going back to its baseline accommodation level. In the use-abuse theory, the idea is that this excessive reading, close-up work, somehow changes either the lens, which was originally thought but now probably disproven, and more likely changes somehow the, the axial length of the eye to, to make the eye become more myopic. Over that 100-year period when people have been studying uh, near work, as researchers have tried to quantify more and more precisely how much near work individuals are doing, it's turned out to be less and less easy to find these associations between near work and myopia. So un as you'd expect to qu the quantification to become more and more precise, you'd expect the association to become stronger and stronger. If anything, the reverse has happened. And so... A lot of very eminent researchers who've been studying near work and myopia for decades sometimes are now, I think, becoming a little disillusioned with near work and are being forced almost to look for other environmental, uh, environmental infact, uh, impacts that perhaps have been overlooked in the past. Um, so of those, recent work has highlighted two, uh, outdoor activity and parental uh, smoking behavior. 
the outdoor activity research is, is very, very exciting. This is work published by a group in Australia in the Sydney Myopia study, and they found that children who spent a lot of time playing outdoors had a protective effect. They were less likely to become, or had a, a lower prevalence of myopia than children who spend less time playing outdoors. There are possibilities there that it's the, the exposure to the outdoor environment, perhaps long viewing distances or very bright lighting, or perhaps it's the, the fact that you're being active while you're outdoors. All those questions could be, could be important in the, the outdoor activity finding. In terms of parental smoking, that, as you can imagine, hasn't really been touted much in the media because obviously smoking is normally seen as a bad thing, but a few studies have looked at parental smoking, particularly when a parent is pregnant. If either parent smokes during that time, it does seem to be protective again against children developing myopia. But again, that's another minefield because Obviously, smoking behavior is closely linked to socioeconomic factors, and as you mentioned yourself, that socioeconomic factors are related to myopia. So unraveling those connections is, is going to be um, difficult, but will be exciting to pursue, I think. Huh. I did know the study uh, demonstrating the inverse correlation between playing outside and the development of myopia, but I, I did not know uh, that association with smoking. I, I think that I'm going to refrain from advocating that my pregnant patients smoke, though. <laughs> We're going to be talking about season of birth. What mechanism has been proposed to connect season of birth with myopia? Uh, that's another good question, because, again, on the face of it, a connection between season of birth and myopia, I think, is pretty outlandish to, to come up with. Um, I think it all started, I think it was in the late 1990s, Graham Quinn and his colleague published a very provocative study in Nature, a very prestigious journal. They suggested that if children slept with a a room light on or a night light during the first few years of life, that as they then became older, they'd be at a a much increased risk of developing myopia. And at the time, this caused a vast amount of interest, as you can imagine. And the scale of the effect they found was startling really. They were finding that whether children slept with a nightlight or in the dark, the effect of that was stronger even than family history, which until then had been by some way the the strongest risk factor for myopia. Uh, Since then, some studies have supported that finding, some haven't. So the the question of whether exposure to light during the night is important or not is, is still debated, I think. But certainly if you look at animal studies, there it's easier to look at the effect of photo period, that is the, the length of the light period of the day compared to the, the dark period of the, of the day. Photo period clearly has an effect on, on emotropization and susceptibility to experimentally induced myopia. And that, that's true in both chickens, which are the main myopia animal model, and also in, in primate models. Before we get to your own study, can I get you to describe the recent study by Yossi Mandel. They were interested in whether season of birth and the uh, photo period at the time of birth, so if you're born in the summer, you'd be exposed to a longer photo period than if you're born in the winter. They were hypothesizing that somehow that photo period at birth was then, again, a risk factor for subsequent MOPA development. So they looked at a, a really pretty large cohort of about 270 
thousand um, adolescents caught up for military service in, in Israel, both men and women uh, aged in the late teens or early 20s. And they found that if uh, babies were born in the summer, they were more likely to become moderately or highly myopic than if babies were born in the winter. Uh, so the size of the effect was pretty small. It was about a 10 or 20% increased risk of myopia or high myopia. But again, it seemed pretty intriguing that season of birth could somehow be related to homoopia development later in life. I, I think one of the things that really prompted us to look at this ourselves was that it just seemed, on the one hand, so unlike in a way that something as remote as season of birth could impact on myopia, and yet the sheer sample size of the, the Mandel study lent it a lot of credence because, as you know, if you have a large sample, you have high power to detect and very precisely estimate genetic risks or, or environmental risks. And similarly, your chance of finding a false positive are, are small if you have such a large sample. So because of that, I felt we had to take it seriously and perhaps see if we could find a similar effect in a different population. At the same time, the Mandel study dealt with a part of the world in which there's not a lot of variability in photo period between seasons. That's right. In... In Israel, from their data, they presented data on photo periods uh, in each month of the year. And it, it's not so different from, uh, again, central United States or Europe. Uh, so there aren't the massive swings in photo periods that you would get in, for example, countries close to the Arctic Circle where you can have you know, winters where it, it never gets light and summers where it never gets dark. Uh, Israel is, again, just a pretty run-of-the-mill country where you have some swing in photo period during the year, but, but it's not too dramatic. Jez, can I get you to describe the design of your study? Right. Our, our study design was what's called a retrospective cross-sectional study. Um, and in a way, that's one of the weaker epidemiology study designs. It, it's, it means that because we're cross-sectional, we can't look at the timing of risk exposures but the big advantage of a cross-sectional study and a retrospective study in particular is that you can get a very large sample size. And we felt that was crucial in trying to find this small, perhaps 10 or 20% uh, increased risk. We needed a large sample size to have enough power to, to try and replicate the Mandel study. Jez, can I have you just dwell on your study population a little bit more? Yes. We, we looked at a clinical population. That was just the refractive errors of subjects attending for a routine eye exam, sight test in, in English optometry practice. Uh, now, our subjects were aged 18 to 100 years old, so a much wider age range than those studied by Mandel. And again, they were clinically selected. These are people who felt they needed to go to have an eye exam. So again, that could be an important difference between our study and the Mandel study. Uh, we looked at about 75,000 subjects. We categorized their year of birth and looked at the photo period that they would have experienced given that year of birth. And then we used exactly the same statistical analytical methods that Mandel had used. So we looked at either season of birth or the photo period the baby would have experienced at birth and used those in a standard epidemiology uh, risk factor model to see if they were significantly associated with the prevalence of myopia 
or the prevalence of moderate or high myopia. What were your findings? Well, our major finding was that we did, somewhat to my surprise, in fact, we did substantiate an association between being born in the summer and having a, a higher prevalence of myopia. In our study, compared to being born in the winter, if you're born in the summer or autumn, you're at about a 16% increased risk of having high myopia. But in that sense, our studies confirmed what Mandel and colleagues had found. But what was different was that when we looked at photo period as a risk factor for degree of myopia, we didn't find any associated word at all to speak of. And that was a little surprising because if Mandel's hypothesis was correct, then photo period should have been at least as strong a risk factor for high myopia as a season of birth. Jez, how did you distinguish photo period from season? What, what data did you use to be able to describe photo period? Yes, in in Mandel's case, they had, uh, and in our case as well, that we used a database which is freely available on the World Wide Web where you can look up any date of birth and find uh, in that period what the uh, photo period would be from meteorological data taken at that time. We looked at one year in 2006 as our baseline, and then we looked back to see whether year on year there was much variation, and we didn't find much variation for year on year, so we just took Depending on somebody's date of birth, we just assume the photo period around their birth would be similar to what it was for that month in 2006. If not photo period, what else do seasons signify? <laughs> uh, I wish I knew. I guess there must be a, a mind-boggling array of associations with season of birth. It could be temperature, it could be rainfall, it could be, who knows, it could be family planning but some people decide they want to have children at a particular time of year. It really, we have an association. It, it's both exciting and daunting to try and think, how can we unravel that link? At the moment, we're trying to look into things like sunlight, strength, and rainfall as possible surrogates. But again, that I think it's quite open to speculation what this link might be. I think, presumably, there is a small link, but... What underlies it is going to be very tricky to tease out. Other authors have suggested a role for maternal dopamine and melatonin. How does this relate to emetropization and seasonality? If we look at the animal models of myopia literature, there's a wealth of data on the effect of dopamine. We know that if you use a dopamine agonist like apomorphine, then you can have quite a substantial influence on an animal's susceptibility to experimental-induced myopia. And again, if you look at dopamine or melatonin levels in the retina over the circadian cycle, then they vary considerably. So this idea that perhaps around birth in particular, that the levels of dopamine in your retina and then how much clear vision you're getting could somehow affect your emetropization, it, it's not such a, an outlandish idea, I think. I mean, if you Imagine the Barker hypothesis that things happening in utero can affect your susceptibility to other common complex diseases. Then it's not so unusual to think that perhaps early features associated with pregnancy or shortly after birth and perhaps something like dopamine could be key. And to give you a couple of examples, I think Mandel quoted a study where depending on a person's season of birth, their dopamine turnover rate in adulthood was altered again suggesting that 
early life exposure can have really quite long-lasting effects on uh, neurotransmitter metabolism in later life. And also, we've been looking uh, recently, and other studies have found that um, birth order is important in mobile prevalence. If you're the first-born person in a sibship, then again, you're at a greater risk of becoming myopic. And again, that's been a common finding now in a few different studies. So again, there's, I think, a fair bit of data coming out now suggesting that early life influences perhaps through mechanisms we really don't understand yet could be impacting on mobility in later life and dopamine is, is certainly something worthy of follow-up, I think. And he suggested a connection via melatonin whereby seasonality may have an influence on maternal dopamine. Do I have that right? Yes. No, no there is a link between uh, melatonin production and dopamine production and obviously melatonin is one of the key uh, biological mediators of circadian time within the body. Um, melatonin, though, hasn't been studied very widely in the, the animal model literature, partly because, for example, if you give melatonin to animals, they tend to just fall asleep. Uh, so, so the studies are much trickier to do than, than with dopamine. But again, circadian rhythms are important in eye growth. We know that uh, Frank Schaefer has shown, for example, that chicken eyes, when they grow normally, they tend to grow during the day and then they don't grow at night. So again, there's this whole idea that somehow the visual regulation of eye growth, circadian rhythms, dopamine, melatonin, I'm sure they're all part of a, a big network of uh, biological um, molecules that are all helping to regulate eye growth. Jez, couldn't it be that rich, smart parents, both myopia risk factors, <laughs> choose to have children in the summer? It's perfectly reasonable. It's funny, you say that to some people and they, particularly parents, and look in horror and say, you know, as if parents can plan their families to, to, to that degree. But I, that's a perfectly reasonable explanation that perhaps well-off parents choose to have children more during the summer and therefore that would certainly give rise to the type of association we're seeing. Um, Mandel did a couple of studies to try and argue against that. They had some siblings within their population, so they were able to give some circumstantial evidence that possibly wasn't the case. But, but I think, it's, it, again, it's a perfectly reasonable and valid uh, proposal for, to explain the, the observations, yes. Jez, as a clinician, what do I do with this information clinically? Uh, do I tell my patients not to have first children? <laughs> uh, yeah, and only have children in the winter. Um, no, I, what we're looking at here is an association. So in terms of changing behavior, I, I don't think we can gain anything useful from it. I think it's a purely academic finding. There must be some biological reason, whether it's something as uh, seemingly disappointing to my mind as people deciding to have children in the summer in certain situations rather than others or whether it's a biological maybe a dopamine link. At the moment, that still needs further research to pin down. I think at the moment, we shouldn't change clinical practice based on these very academic findings. Jez Guggenheim, thank you so much. I've enjoyed your question. <laughs> thank you, Josh. Jeremy Jez Guggenheim is Senior Lecturer at the School of Optometry and Vision Sciences in Cardiff University in Cardiff, Wales. His paper, Season of Birth, Daylight Hours at Birth, and High Myopia, appears in the March 2009 issue of Ophthalmology. <music> 
ask questions of Dr. Guggenheim or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.